0: Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. Yes, it is raining here. has been raining for quite some time. The dog hasn't had a real walk in two days and is driving me crazy. I don't know how Noah did it for 40 days and 40 nights, at least with the dogs not being able to go out and run around. Anyway, with people coming into church yesterday two by two, we had Mother's Day and had the the following sermon. Uh, the sermon really didn't have a lot to do with mothers. It was Jesus' miracle at Cana and turning water into wine. Thanks for subscribing. And a reminder to go onto my website, www.anrobertson.com and click on the Vote for Charity link and help me decide which charity to support. Thanks a lot, and thanks for subscribing.
1: Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel, which comes from the gospel of John in the second chapter, the first 11 verses. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who'd drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you've kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This story of Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding in Cana, I think contains one of the most powerful messages in all of scripture. But it seems that a lot of times people get snagged on some of the details and end up missing the joy that's in the message. There are several different ways that people get hung up on this story and end up missing the point. So I want to start off by sort of getting those out of the way. The first stumbling block tends to be with issues surrounding alcohol. Alcohol is often a deadly and destructive force in today's world. We have two AA groups that meet here every single week. They're overflowing. It can be a very deadly force. And anybody who's lived with an alcoholic or faced that addiction themselves can tell you that. And as a result, there are some whose only commentary on this story is an attempt to prove that Jesus turned water into grape juice. And there's this whole thing around, well, it was a biblical thing called new wine and it wasn't really fermented and they go off on that. You might find it uncomfortable or difficult to explain to your children, but the facts of the story are that Jesus was at a wedding party where the guests were already soused. Then, when the wine runs out, instead of saying, good, now go home and sober up, Jesus provides about 150 gallons more of the best wine around. Now, all of that is not to say that there aren't some very good, very Christian reasons for complete abstinence from alcohol. If you don't drink, don't go home and say, the pastor told us to start drinking. I don't want the calls from the bishop. I don't want all of that. If you don't drink, don't start now. It's just to say that this story is not about that. And if you get worried about it, you're going to miss the whole point of the story. The second thing that often hangs people up in the story is the way that Jesus talks to his mother. No matter that Jesus is 30 years old at this point, most people reading it hear, woman, what's that got to do with me as being at least a little bit rude to his mother? So they go off on tangents about obedience and cutting apron strings and the fact that Jesus gives in and does what his mother wants anyway. Often I've heard Mary's faith examined, how she, though Jesus says, "Ah, no way, Mom, she goes and puts the servants on standby anyway. And those discussions can be helpful, but I don't think they're the reasons that John put this story into the gospel. John is a different sort of gospel. We've talked about this a little bit before. John wasn't written to get the facts of Jesus' life out there. John was written with the assumption that people already knew the facts of Jesus' life. It's the latest of the Gospels. It's been suggested that John was written as a commentary on the other three, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written to tell the story, and John was written to tell us what the story means and what it's about. To enter the Gospel of John is to enter a world of symbols and verses that have at least two or three levels of meaning. John is highly selective about the material he includes the story isn't in any of the other gospels but because people don't realize that John's talking in symbols and philosophy and metaphor we can allow ourselves to get caught up in the details like was it really wine or how dare Jesus talk to his mother that way at best they end up saying that this is a story about empathy Jesus sees people in a world of hospitality that are embarrassed because they can't provide for their guests. Jesus feels their pain and helps out. Good stuff can come from all of that study and thought, but I think all of those things stay on the surface. The only way to get at John is to start out with the assumption that the message John wants to convey is below the surface. And the details of the story are just a means to that end. So let's go to the story with that in mind. Let's assume that it's not primarily a story about a wedding, about drinking, or about who scurried around to do what for whom. It's in John, so it has to be more than that. And the first thing to notice is that John does not call this a miracle. In fact, in John's Gospel, John doesn't call anything a miracle. He calls them all signs. He records seven signs. Seven is the numerical number of completeness and perfection. And changing the water into wine is the first sign that he records. We can assume that all of that is intentional. This was a sign for people. Something that would inform folks about what they might expect from this Nazarene. Something that would point them toward a deeper meaning. None of the other writers of Gospels saw the miracle of Cana as something worth recording. They were much more impressed with the healings and with the exorcisms. But John remembered Cana. John saw the miracle at Cana as a sign that served to define the very purpose for which Christ had come. The servants at the wedding saw plain water turned into the best wine around. John saw a man who in his first sign declared himself as an agent of transformation. Remember that it's only in the Gospel of John that Jesus is recorded as saying I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I think that statement is what the miracle of Cana is all about. Water, the basic necessity of life, is changed into wine. The symbol throughout the Bible, not just of life, but of abundant, joyous, and celebrative life. If you go into this thinking wine is evil, you miss the boat completely wine in scripture is a symbol of joy and warmth and celebration and abundance old testament to new in changing the water into wine and allowing the wedding celebration to continue jesus is cluing people in to the nature of his mission jesus has come to transform the world now we often think of transformation in terms of opposites We think of the ugly turned beautiful, the frog that turns into a prince, beauty and the beast, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, those opposite kinds of things. Or we think of change to something unrecognizable, like the caterpillar turned into a butterfly, or those transformer toys where a boat turns into a warrior. And it's true that God can and does transform people in those ways. God does take mean, ugly lives and transform them into beautiful angels of mercy. God does take us when we're crawling along on our bellies and gives us wings to fly. God does take us when we're broken and makes us whole. But there's another type of transformation, I think, that's modeled at Cana. At Cana, the object of transformation is something that's already good and pure and necessary. There's nothing that needs fixing in water. You might not believe it this week, but water is good. (laughs) The message of transformation at Cana is not about making the bad good, but about making what's good even better. First, I think it's a message about the law and about Judaism, because the jugs that Jesus has filled with water were the jugs for ritual purification and washing. They were there so that the wedding guests could comply with Jewish law. Jesus takes the ritual water and turns it into something that wouldn't satisfy the law anymore. Washing your hands in wine would not count. Jesus is making a statement, I think, about the law. The law is life-giving, necessary, good, and pure, The law is like water. But Jesus came to transform the law into something that wasn't just necessary, but joyful. It wasn't that the law was ugly or evil or impure. What they had was good, but it was only the basics. Jesus came to transform the law through grace, to put God back into it, to put love back into it, to make it more than plain water to make it wine, give it texture, taste, let it warm you as the glow spreads through your veins, let it free you to love and to laugh. Jesus came to take the wholesome duty of the law and to make it giddy with joy. And that message that Jesus gave to the Jews at Cana, he also gives, I think, to us. This is not the message of the transformation of the sinner. John gives us that in the next chapter when he talks to Nicodemus about being born again. But this is the promise for those whose lives are really pretty good. The transformation at Cana is the promise for those who are pretty much on the right track. Those with a basic level of faith and trust in God, who treat their neighbor with respect and with mercy, who live a life of basic moderation, gentleness, and self-control. This is the message for those whose lives are like water, good, nourishing, and life-sustaining. And the message is, I think, lighten up. It's not God's desire that we live our lives with only a sense of duty and resignation. It's good that we obey the commandments, but there's more to life with Christ than obedience. I came that they might have life, And have it abundantly not just life but abundant life joyous life life lived in freedom that doesn't mean God promises us material wealth it doesn't mean we're promised a life free from pain or suffering it doesn't mean we'll never do another task that we don't enjoy but it does mean that when the water of our lives becomes wine through the touch of Jesus Christ Even the worst circumstances that life can offer have a richness and a depth that they didn't have before. So many times I talk with people in my office who only know the God of living water. And that's good. That brings life. That makes the wounded whole. But it's not the whole picture. Those who only know the God of living water often come to me feeling guilty about enjoying life. They know that faith is important and necessary, but it's so deadly dull and hard and tedious, and they feel guilty for thinking that. I worked on a walk to Emmaus weekend in Tallahassee, Florida, a number of years ago, and another team member came up to me, struggling with a call to the ministry. She sensed a really strong sense of call, I'm having a hard time, she said, because I want it so much I can't tell if it's God or if it's just me. The basic problem was that she had a hard time imagining that God would call her to something that she actually enjoyed doing. And I know I've been there in my life. There's this sense of Christians have to suck it up. God's going to send you to a snake-infested swamp in your life and you just got to suck it up and do it because God says so. The notion that God would actually call us to things that bring joy into our lives is sometimes a new thought. And she was ready for resigned obedience, but not for joy. When I quoted to her Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. She broke down and cried. God wanted her to do more than to dutifully drink water to sustain her. God wanted to give her wine and to make her be wine for others. She'd gone to the ritual water jugs to do her duty and it seemed almost a scandal that wine was pouring out instead. What I'm trying to say is that there's a part of the gospel that's about divine extravagance. Not in terms of material possessions or in getting our way all the time. Christian joy doesn't spring from the same source as the happiness of the world. Christian joy springs from realizing that once we've made the decision to drink of the living water of Christ, that water becomes wine as it touches our lips that we serve a God whose name is not duty, but love. It brings not just life, but abundant life. It's the shock of St. Augustine's words in the 4th century when he said, love God and do as you please. Joy, freedom, celebration. Not just water, but wine. What do people see when they look at your Christian life? Do they see that you have access to living water? That's good. And those who are thirsty will be drawn to the source of that water because of you. But there are many who don't feel thirsty. They're living decent and relatively happy lives just as they are. Is there any indication in your life that you serve a God who turns plain water into wine? And if you remember the story, it's not just cheap wine. It's not the wine that gives you a hangover in the morning. It's the good stuff. Do people see your religion as something that turns water into wine? Or does it seem more like turning wine into water? Does your life reflect the miracle at Cana? What would our lives look like? What would our church look like? if we let Jesus turn our water into wine. Amen.
0: Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts love to have you stop by my website at www.anrobertson.com where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings.